You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to episode 243 of Around the Lens. I'm your host, David J. Murphy, a freelance visual journalist based out of South Korea. Joining me this week is my regular co-host, Evelyn Hochstein, a D.C., Washington, D.C.-based visual journalist uh, working on that freelance world and uh, also just tried the Canon R5. Hello, Evelyn. How are you? I'm great. Good morning, everybody. Really good. We can talk about the R5. Indeed. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on the show when we talk about our gear segment and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, definitely eager to hear about your experience with it and kind of we can kind of chat about our our co-experiences with it and see if it's the the right camera for you uh, or you, Evelyn, anyone. Um, But uh, beyond that, I know you've been covering the RBG um, events and and whatnot. Were you at the, the courthouse, the Supreme Court? I was. Um, yes, Friday night, I was having my holiday dinner with my family, wasn't paying much attention to my phone, and it rang. I got it gotten some news alerts, but I didn't look at them, and then it rang, and I looked, and I went, uh-oh, it's an order from the Washington Post. And then I didn't answer right away, and I went, oh, shit, what, like, what happened? So I quickly, like, looked, and then I, I realized, oh, my gosh, and I just made the announcement to my everybody at the table and everybody was in shock and I called back and she said, you know, I know you're, you know, having a holiday, it's Rosh Hashanah, can you go? And I just sort of looked at my family and went, I gotta go. And it was really great because my niece and my sister-in-law came with me um, to the Supreme Court. So I think for them it was really moving and interesting to see how I work and and be part of it. And it was so monumental. And um, because RBG was Jewish, there was sort of like this continuation of the holiday, I think in her honor there. So it just, it felt, it felt, um, it was very powerful, but um, I don't often just, you know, if it was big enough news that I, I just, I had to go. Um, And I'm really, I'm, I'm really glad I went. And then I went the next morning, Saturday morning and Saturday night again. So Big what a great thing to share with your family. That's like such that, an organic that, thing to happen. That was really nice. Yeah, I, I felt exactly the same way. They, you know, they, they know what I do. They don't always get to witness it. And then to see everyone else, how people just come in an organic way and, and gather in these moments. And what was so amazing is that people were sitting on the steps of the Supreme Court. And it's always, it's almost, you can walk up them, but it's almost always closed off when there's an event, a protest, a gathering. Mm-hmm. And because it happens organically and it was just so moving it was full of you know people and places that they wouldn't get to be communing together and then the next morning when I went back you know there were barricades up and you couldn't um, climb the steps to the Supreme Court so it was really really powerful that first night yeah well a sad day losing such a uh, tremendous icon in the world of law and human rights and civil rights Um, but uh, you know it's uh, the good silver lining is finally something ha- is happening in D.C., right? It's been boring. There's been nothing going on. Now something is happening. Uh, but no, obviously a tremendous loss. So our hearts go out to anyone who was uh, affected by that. Um, our guest this week and the voice you just heard making his second appearance on the program is Mr. Brad Smith, the vice president of photography for the WWE and founder of Brad Smith Creative based out of New York City. Hello, Brad. How are you? 
Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, depending on where you are. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, glad to have you, Brad. We're planning to dig really deep into some of the aspects of, you know, uh, what's going on in, in your world uh, with regard to WWE photography and your consulting business, uh, anything, you know, going on in personally, your world uh, with regard to COVID and how you're dealing with that and, you know, just so everything else going on in the world. How are you doing? Yeah, we're, we're doing pretty well. We're in a, a Manhattan apartment, so you can kind of visualize what that's like. Um, we are beyond fortunate that we have two floors in our apartment wow. so I, I can't tell you what a lifesaver that's been we've saved a tremendous amount of money on marriage counseling probably because of that so it's you know i did I'm not sure how people have survived <laughs> that much time together but we're lucky to have the two floors and my yeah. wife and i have a toddler we have a two-year-old wow. uh that's with us and she's uh takes up a lot of energy for both of us but it's it's been fun and my wife is actually a photographer as well jennifer mcclure and she's kind of turned it into a project over time it kind of organically just kind of turned into an at-home project of her and being with her her daughter during covid and all this and how to kind of manage that and everything and has produced some tremendous work that's gotten out there so that's been fun to see normally i'd be at work when all that's happening i'd be yeah. in an office and all that would happen and i'd come home and see the results now i'm actually seeing it happen and it's it's been a pretty great experience as far as spending time with my family that part has been a positive yeah so i think that's uh the one thing a lot of people, you know, say is that they're able to re kind of reconnect with their family or, you know, this is yeah. them more, more than enough time to oh, yeah. spend time with their family. So that's great. 100%. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about COVID and we're talking about your work, you know, let's get right into it. You work for the WWE. You're a photographer for them yes. or the vice president of photography for WWE. Yeah. So uh, first tell us what, a little bit, uh, what that means and then kind of follow up with how COVID has affected the WWE and, and kind of where it's at now. So definitely, just to clarify, not a photographer for the WWE, not no. a photographer for anybody. Vice president of photography. <laughs> yeah, so I just I just want to be clear because that's a that's a slap in the face to the people that actually take the photos, which is not me. Right. So I I oversee the department. I I run a team of photo editors and researchers, and uh, that's everything from. Uh, we use those images across the board for every platform the WWE has. I mean anything. If it's your world and you see a photo within the WWE, whether it's merchandise or whether it is advertising or key art online or whether it's the banners in the city hanging or when you go into the uh, arena and it's on the Tron and so forth, all those images are our images. And we take them, we manage them, archive them, we distribute them throughout the platform um, of the WWE, the various platforms. And it's it's a busy, busy, never-ending rotation of images, you know, you know when... when the show was traveling, traveling which, which obviously, obviously is not, not at the moment, moment. Like, like everybody, everybody else, we're kind of at a standstill trying, trying to figure it out. out. But when, but when it, was it was traveling, we had three live shows, shows per week, week. Uh, Mondays, Mondays, Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays, Fridays, all around, around the country. Um, and, and then we would have, basically once, once a month, month, we have what we call a pay-per-view, which is one of the bigger shows. You would probably know WrestleMania as a brand. So they're, so they're like, like WrestleMania, WrestleMania, but smaller, and, and WrestleMania is the big one at the end of the year. It's our World Series, Super Bowl, uh, you know, Olympics, and Oscars all rolled into one. one. And, and uh, we, we have, have one of those a month, month and, and so those, those are in different locations and so forth. So we, we have, have a team of photographers that travels around the country, and then we have shows that go on the road, out into the uh, other parts of the world, Europe a lot, um, South America, other parts of Asia, India, different places that we go. And, and we, we have, have photographers, photographers that travel with them. We generally have, uh, as, as a rule, we have two people at ringside, 
and, and then, then they, they stay, stay kind of like, like they're, they're in, in a specific corner, corner ringside, ringside covering the show. show. And then, and then we, we have, have at least one more kind of in the stands mostly. It's called, called our hard camera, camera position. position. And, and they, they sit uh, in, in a seat, basically, like, like say, 25 rows up or something like that. So they get more of an elevated version of it. They can see the ends a little cleaner and stuff like that. So then we also have a studio that we set up in every single arena that we go to. We set up some kind of makeshift studio that we just throw together. We have a template for the lighting, so it's like kind of the same throughout. Uh, um, there's a consistency throughout um, that we do. And we get the talent to come in, and that is to kind of refresh the images we have because character changes, they get new gear to wear, they get a new tattoo, a new haircut, whatever, that type of thing. So we cover all of those things for the company, and then we distribute them out. So it, it really never ends as far as um, the coverage itself. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you said it's, it, are there shows going on right now or has it all been yep. put on hiatus? Okay. So right now we are taping out of uh, Orlando and we've got an arena. We're at the Amway Center in, or Amway Arena, I believe it's called, in Orlando. And most of our shows are out of there. So we have a, a show that's on Fox on Friday nights. It's called uh, WWE Smackdown. And we have a show on the USA Network on Monday nights called WWE Raw. So those are our two flagship shows, and those are filmed in the Amway arena. So we have basically the same exact show minus 14,000 people. So that's, that's the one difference, of course, is that there's no fans. Um, the WWE creative team uh, um, came up with this great idea of having, which other people have, have also done to various degrees of success, but we, I think we do a really great job. We have these LED boards, individual LED boards, about a thousand of them, and they fans log in just like kind of we are right now. And we're on the LED board watching the show and then cheering and booing or whatever you do, reacting during the show. So it's it's that's our version of fans at the moment as it was yeah. for the nba uh, is using those and other sports are using those um i think even the uh, emmys last night used something similar to that with all the different kind of zoom call things it's the same principle and so it gives at least a feeling that some people are there but the shows themselves are the same you have two people you have a referee yeah. uh, they they have a match they have a winner they have a loser and they do that process so we still cover it pretty much the same way minus the fans yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, hopefully we can get fans back into stadiums at some point in the future, but I know that's a, a big challenge for all major sports right now. I saw the, the cardboard cutouts the MLB yeah. is using, right? That's kind of the, the funny, the meme or whatnot. Um, yeah. For you, as somebody, you know, you covered obviously before COVID and now after COVID, is it kind of eerie sort of being in there during the show? And, you know, it's kind of like, is it eerily quiet? Yeah, so I haven't actually been to the arena. We've kind of like separated and we're trying to keep a um, relatively small footprint there. I mean, it's a group right. that goes, they get, yeah. you know, it's they go through all the protocols that okay. we're supposed to go through, very safety uh, conscious about it. So they kind of limit that number. So there's really no reason for me to wander down there just to watch. Right. Um, but the team that's there is um, definitely saying that it's it, you can there are moments where you can hear a pin drop because mm -hmm. There's no fans, you know, and it's it's and at the end of the day, we're still a TV show. That's our our basis is we're a TV show. Right. And we also have a show um, on uh, Wednesdays as well. Um, our NXT show is on Wednesdays. And that that show um, is also done in the Orlando area. So all three shows at some moment or another, there's a moment where you realize there's no fans in there because I'm sure it's quieter and so forth. But yeah. I think like anything else, you just kind of get used to it after a while. 
I mean, in a way, fans are great because they kind of mask a lot of stuff. You walking by and you talking to somebody, nobody's really going to hear it. Maybe it's, I think you probably have to be a little more self-conscious about it with no fans just to yeah. make sure your phone doesn't ring or something like that. But uh, overall, I think it's still, once the show starts, it's a two-hour show on Fridays and a three-hour show on Monday. So they're just kind of locked in and, and shooting the show. Right. The performers are going to perform the same way with exactly. or without an, an audience. Um, yeah. I mean, for the most part, 100%. I mean, I think everybody in, whether it's a concert or a play or a baseball game or a wrestling show, everybody to some degree feeds off of the fans. That's part of the reason you get into it is yeah. because people are watching and you get cheered and you get booed and there's a lot of interaction. So I'm sure everybody misses it to some degree and that's kind of missing. But um, at the end of the day, we, we have like this incredibly professional team from stop, top to bottom from the people that put in the equipment to the referees, to the talent, to the announcers, everybody's pretty much a pro on it. So it's, it's all done really, really well. And, and they're, they're making a huge effort. I think everybody that's involved in that right now should be commended, whatever sport you're in, to, for making the effort they're making without fans. You know, they're yeah. still trying to entertain people because that's all of this, whether it's a Yankees game or our wrestling show or a 49ers game, you're just trying to entertain people, you know, and I, it's, it's, it's can't be easy to do without fans, but we're doing the best we can. Absolutely. I mean, it must be a challenge. You're so used to the reaction of the fans, either good or bad. Yeah. And for that to yeah. completely gone, it, it must mess with their their flow, their yeah. mojo, whatever you want to call it. I think and at some point, if, yeah, the timing and so forth for just everybody in that live event business in general is probably hard to kind of adjust to at first. But I, I think they've all picked it up by now. It's been going on long enough that yeah. I think they've all adapted pretty well. And so, you know, I, I think we, we've done a good job of entertaining. And if you focus in on the, what's going on in the arena, you know, then that's what you came to see anyway. So um, if you're watching it on TV, I think you're still entertained by it, just as you would be if somebody hit a home run. You know, it's still a home run's a home run. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. this isn't the first time you've managed photographers. Of course, you were you worked for Sports Illustrated for a while, for a yeah. long time. Um, yeah. and you, of course, you were managing photographers, sending them out on assignment, you know, sending photographers like Evelyn Hoxstein out on assignment Yes. Uh, to absolutely. cover things. How, how would you compare the two sort of uh, fields? You know, this, how do you compare well, this to WWE or Sports Illustrated I, WWE? Yeah, I would say that the major difference is that one's an editorial product and you are kind of working with more editorial guidelines of uh, covering the events and then presenting to editors and they kind of go by, you know, they're working in conjunction with the writer when Evelyn was shooting for us, you know, she she was working with a writer, whether the writer was there or not, and whether she knows it or not at the moment, she's still working with a writer, you know, so it's all kind of flowing together. If the writer has something really important in the story, Evelyn needs to get a picture of that, for instance, and so forth. And whereas the WWE, it's an entertainment company. So it's, it's you're, you're still taking photos kind of the same way. I mean, in a lot of ways, what we do primarily is this action photography for the WWE. And then we roll it into this huge kind of spectacle at the same time with the lights and the branding and, and the fans and the event and all that. Um, whereas I think editorial photography is more centered on the action primarily that's taking place in the arena itself, you know. Um, there's rarely going to be a football picture that's more important than a guy throwing a football or a guy catching a football or a guy scoring a touchdown. Whereas in the WWE, 
we like that action, but we like to pull back a little bit and show the atmosphere so mm-hmm. that to show what it would be like to be at the event. So it's more of an, an entertainment value instead of the actual sports value. So that's kind of the difference between the two companies. But I learned a lot from both of them and have brought stuff to each. I brought stuff from editorial world into the WWE, which has been helpful um, for sure. But it, it's still... All of these photographers, I'm sh- guarantee you, could swap over. If right. I took my WWE photographers and sent them to a sporting event, after a little practice, they would be able to at least assimilate and shoot a sporting event to some degree, and vice versa. I could take two or three SI guys and train them to shoot WWE, and they'd be able to. So I think the talents are ver- fairly interchangeable. And, yeah. and Evelyn's a good example. If I hired her to shoot something for the WWE, she could certainly do that just as easily, and I'd get this you know, a same quality product either way. I think he's offering you a job, Evelyn. Go, go down there and shoot some yeah. WWE. Yeah. Well, uh, you never know. Sorry, guys. No worries. Uh, yeah, we were talking about that a little bit before the show. Um, Evelyn, yes. what kind of assignments did uh, you do for Brad when you worked uh, with him? Oh, gosh, this was a long time ago. This is early in my career. Um, I shot, he was at Sports Illustrated for women, and I'm trying to even remember. I don't know how I got in the door. It was, you know, starting my career. I was based in uh, Jerusalem, and I think I was in New York making the rounds with editors, and I met Brad, and sure enough, the I think she was, I don't know, the editor or managing editor, I, I don't remember, this woman was coming to run a half marathon at the Dead Sea. So I actually got an assignment after that meeting, which was which was wonderful. And then I don't think I did anything else. And then the next I heard from Brad was at the New York Times, which was many years later. I mean, at least, at least probably 12 or 13 years later. And yeah. um, I did some DC-based, um, I'm not really a sports photographer. These were sort of feature stories, but yeah. it, around sports. And the one was about um, kids who like homeschool and play sports. And um, it was pretty cool because it got on A1, which is you know, not the norm necessarily for a sports story. So that was fun. No. And then I guess I guess then Brad, you went off to do start your consulting business, and um, I started freelancing for the Washington Post. So I haven't done much, but then I did bump into Brad in DC at a what we call the photo prom, the White House news photographers yep. like annual gala, which yes. I guess we're not going to have this year. But uh, so, fun but to Brad, get up. it was yes, a lot of people. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. fun. So I hadn't seen Brad in many. In fact, even at the New York Times, I mean, you know, this was this wasn't an in-person contact. So there's no way he would have remembered me. But me as the freelance photojournalist, of course, you, you know, you always know the names of you remember those names. And actually, like, I feel like, like that was one of the first breaks, good breaks, like in world to shoot something for SI women. Um, so yeah, so I certainly remembered. Brad and like ran up to him and said, Hey, I'm Evelyn Hudson. We've had phone or email or whatever. This is me in person. So it was fun to reconnect. I mean, I think that's kind of one of the, what Evelyn just touched on is really important to remember that it's, it's, I get so many people over the course of my career as I teach at workshops or whatever, like I want to shoot sports and you have to really kind of break it down as to what they're looking to do. And most people think I want to shoot sports, they want to stand on the sidelines and they want to shoot a game. But 
Evelyn doesn't do that, but she still shot sports for me because it's sports related. Like she said, there's a lot of feature work to be done in sports and there's a lot of portraits to be done in sports. There's a lot of things to do without actually shooting the game. And people should kind of recognize that and realize they can be involved in it. And shooting sports doesn't like any other activity, you know, doesn't just mean going to a game. So yeah. I need I need people like Evelyn just as much as I need somebody like an Al Bello at Getty or a Robert Beck at Sports Illustrated, those great sports photographers that can shoot action. I need somebody like Evelyn as well who can go in and do a feature story. Yeah, you're not going to hire me to shoot the actual sporting event. I mean, I don't think I've done that since I worked for like the local newspaper, you know. Yeah. Um, but like the stories we did were certainly the one for the New York Times. I mean, I'm like at a, a home where, you know, I think they were catholic and they had like eight kids and they were homeschooling so i'm like spending the day with a family you know photographing yeah. all those family activities and then i'm following the, the boys he goes off to soccer practice and so there was right. you know there was action but um but yeah it was definitely in my and i loved it i mean i think that's the beauty of also being an editorial photographer i mean sorry uh, like the sort of reportage photography that i do and you can work in all mediums like brad said and you can do that storytelling and it doesn't have to just be hard news or politics or right. whatever yeah right. and, and i think with the wwe dave we have similar type thing where not everything is somebody in the ring flying around and jumping off the ropes and pinning somebody and do we have a lot of other activities that we do as a company and I need photography to cover those events. We have the studio, like I said, that's a skill set to be able mm -hmm. to bring somebody in and get their character because they play characters. That's what they do, yeah. you know, and they're really good at it and they're in character like an actor. And that's what has to convey in, in the photo. It's like shooting the still photography, you know, for a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, you want them in the character they are in their movie, not how they are at home in their living room. And then I have events in places like D.C. or every other city in the country where we do... Um, community service type things and we have photographers that document maybe we visit kids in a hospital or go to a school and talk about anti-bullying campaigns or whatever it is that we're doing then I hire a different photographer to cover that type of thing um, so we again use photography across the board we try to find the best photographers available that have those skill sets and we bring them in to shoot so it, it's been a great opportunity for me to kind of expand the, the photography pool that we pull from for the WWE and pull on some people that I know from outside to come help us and work with us. And uh, I think that our photography is, is, is pretty exceptional. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, again, I showed some of the work that you sent me earlier in the, the discussion. I just showed that, uh, yeah. you know, as a little slideshow at the beginning. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, showing the crowd, like the, the shots where you could see the crowd and, and they were yeah. in focus. You know, I mean, shooting yeah. at a relatively high aperture there, so you can, get, you can see the signs, you can see the reactions. I thought right. that was pretty cool. Um, and then, of course, obviously the aerial stuff. Um, <clears throat> I was trying to think about my own career, and, you know, I know we talked a little bit about this beforehand. You know, Evelyn, you said you've never shot you know, this type of thing. Um, but I actually have shot something like this. Uh, it was one of my first assignments while working in Long Island, and uh, it was working for a newspaper, and they sent me to shoot this... Um, Lucha Lucha Libre, right? That Lucha Libre, right? Yes, okay. It's Lucha, yeah, it was Lucha Libre, and it was a guy who was wrestling an imaginary character. So it was just one guy, and he but he was doing all the wrestling moves 
to the imaginary invisible character. And that was my first and really only experience shooting that style of pro wrestling type of uh, stuff. So I hope he won. I don't remember. I think he did. I think he, in the end, it was a tough battle though. He was getting his butt whooped. Well, Um, you know, if you think about it, what's the difference between that and a one person show? If you've ever gone to watch somebody do a one person show as a play or whatever, I mean, yeah, What's the, that's essentially what that is. What's the difference? I mean, I think that requires even more performative capability because you're only yeah. acting off yourself. You have no one else to you're act telling off a of. story by yourself about two people. Yeah, that's not easy. Yeah, I wonder though yeah. if it's uh, for your, you know, for WWE, if it's easier or harder to shoot it when there's like four people or like half a dozen people in the ring, and you get those crazy moments like that. You know, it's definitely easier when it's one person against one person and a referee yeah. let's just start with that it's like a it's like an upside down pyramid it's it certainly starts out very easy that way and it gets worse as you go down as far as the difficulty of making sure you get everything um and and also um the risk of the fact that people are flying around these are huge uh you know very strong athletic men and women and and they they do a lot of maneuvers that aren't normal <laughs> for the rest of us so you have to kind of pay attention and so forth so you have to give them a little distance but each person you add in four people six people add people eight people start, starts to add to the opportunity so that's the way i would kind of look at it is it's it's a little more difficult because there's so many things to watch at once, like a three ring circus. But at the same time, it gives you more opportunities. So, but those those types of images with eight people are better shot. The wider, the better, of course, because yeah. it doesn't do good to have eight people and there's two on two or one on one. The better picture is further to show this is what the event was. This particular event was eight people and people are going crazy and they're all in the ring at the same time and it's it's chaos, you know. And that's kind of the fun thing controlled chaos of course yeah no absolutely and you know again i was thinking about obviously both of us are minimally experienced with this type of thing or, or you know don't have much experience with pro wrestling and you said you, know, you can take someone like us and sort of get us trained up into shooting pro wrestling and as someone who's not you know out there photographing it yourself what are you telling sort of your photographers what's kind of the advice you're giving and you know so maybe something that can be transported on to the you know, amateur photographers, maybe shooting a lower level wrestling event, non-professional, but, you know, how are you instructing the photographer to capture imagery, you know, as the photo editor type perspective? Yeah. So generally the types of photographers we're using to cover the wrestling shows themselves, not the hospital visit, none of those other yeah, the things, but show. just mm-hmm. the wrestling show. Yeah. So all of those photographers have some degree of knowledge, experience and so forth in shooting action yeah whatever it was whether it was local football or whether it was a larger sport you know we i have a guy who's a former nfl photographer for an nfl team you know i mean that's he spent his career doing that he works for us part-time and so i have guys like that guys that shoot baseball other sports so that hand-to-eye coordination and shooting sports is really it's an it's an amazing skill set that people have. And when Evelyn was talking earlier about shooting it when she was first starting out, local newspaper or whatever, most likely she was probably shooting some local team and so forth. And the difference between high school and then and then the pros in an, any sport is like monumental, right? How fast they move, how quick they go, how high they jump, etc. The wrestling is the same way. And our guys start with a basis of knowing how to shoot sports. 
the best thing that we do is, and the way that to teach somebody for us, from our point of view, is we would put them in that hard camera position that I mentioned earlier first. First of all, there are no kind of pressure or danger or anything around the ring where something could happen with guys flying around. They're safely off to the side, like 50 feet up in the stands. And then they can get a feel for how the, the event flows. I was going to say the game, but how the event itself flows. You know, you get it. Each person has an entrance and each entrance is coming with music and each entrance is like dramatic and everybody cheers because somebody comes in and it's real great. And that's part of the show. And then you see them come in and then they talk a little bit and there's a lot of psychology because they're telling a story. It's not just the athletic part. They're actually telling a story. There's a good guy. There's a bad guy and so forth. And they're right, really trying to script their characters into the story. Then we would take people eventually down to ringside. And those photographers at ringside would work with somebody specifically for a while until they kind of gathered some uh, confidence in shooting. You were actually working with a TV camera. You're like standing next to a TV camera. You have to learn, I can't stand in front of the TV camera. I can't get in front of the TV camera. I can't get in their way. I have to work in relationship, in tandem with them, because you're kind of tethered. And then the same way, if the other photographer has the same type of criteria. We're there to document it, but it's a TV show. We're also not there to get in the way, you right. know? A journalist might, at some point, independently run in front of a TV camera because this photo is so important, and they can argue about it later. Yeah, I don't have that luxury, and I can't do that, so right. that's not happening because we're a TV show, so we have to work with that. But the key thing to remember is that not only is there that peak action, that great athleticism that we have, there's also the crowd and the spectacle. And then, thirdly, there's also the brand. I mean, any company of any size or significance or or status wants to have their brand out there you know any photo that shows the super bowl logo and the guys making the great catch is better than one that doesn't show the super bowl logo right because you get all those components at once so that's one of the things we're trying to work with them for is uh, with the photographers is not only to shoot the action but also to kind of incorporate whatever the atmosphere is and we put on a pretty good spectacle it's more like a concert in a way you know with the with the big trust and and, and the big set build out and the lights and lasers and all that stuff that all has to be incorporated into the um into the photo itself and that's why we can't just have people just shooting tight action in the ring they can start with that to get a feel for it but eventually they have to incorporate all of those components into one image and that's that's kind of the key part for them. But when they're in that hard camera shot we talked about earlier, they can get a really good atmosphere atmospheric shot of what what it looks like, and you get a feel for it without going on the dance floor. You can kind of see how everybody else is dancing, and then you can kind of say, "Okay, I'm going to do this because I won't feel uncomfortable if I do this." And that's kind of the the, the significance of sitting upstairs a little bit and shooting up high. Yeah, you know that kind of reminds me of the time when I was in the Marine Corps and we used to shoot the Marine Corps Marathon. And so yeah. the Marine Corps Marathon is, is run by an organization that it's their only job is to run the marathon and all the tertiary events around the marathon. Right. And so they would actually give us like a shot list of what they wanted shots of. Yeah. And we would be, in, you know, instructed to try and get you know various iconic aspects of the marathon because they would use that you know footage for not only historical purposes, but sure. promotion of next year's events. So I, do, I can definitely see you know, the importance and value of that sort of uh, aspect to commercial work. Um, Evelyn, yeah. have you ever done anything like that in any sort of uh, aspect of, you know, where you had to, do, you know, have like a key icon or ad aspect uh, in your shots? Any commercial work in your background or has it always been 
straight photojournalism? I've done some commercial work. I'm just sort of, but I'm, I'm not thinking of an example like what you're describing, um, where it's been like a major event, like, you know, these, these types of events. So right. no, but I've definitely, uh, very little, but a few commercial jobs, but not the same, same style. Yeah. yeah. You know, you mentioned the oh. tight shots and the, 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 the wide shots and whatnot. So when you're, you know, giving them sort of the instruction and feedback, how long do you give them to sort of get comfortable with it before you start expecting them to be actually able to perform? Is that like one show well, or a couple of shows? Yeah, a couple, couple of shows, I think. Um, and, and again, I have people who only shoot hard camera. I'm probably never going to train them to go shoot ringside because they're they're really comfortable in hard camera. I like them there. I can use them there. These are you know they're all these are freelancers, of course, that I use them when I'm in that city and so forth. Um, and I have people that are probably better at this point shooting the ringside, which is a really like I said a specialized skill set. So they can stay. But when I when I'm when we're training somebody and and let's not be wrong, I'm giving instructions on what I like to see, but I have photographers actually work with them. I have two staff photographers, Eric Johnson and John Giamundo, and they, they physically train them in person. Those are the guys who actually stand by somebody and show them how to do it. And I think that we can all tell after two or three matches maybe, or two or three shows at the most, if they, if they haven't picked it up after two or three and heading in the right direction, we'll just cut bait and go ahead and let that loose you know and maybe it's just not the the best fit and you can kind of tell but i it would probably take uh i would say two shows and if i can't if they haven't picked it up in two shows on how to where to be what to shoot get a feeling for it and so forth we probably will move on yeah and but the, honestly i haven't I, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but i haven't really run into that yet for the most part i would say we have like a 90 something percent success rate because I'm also looking at people ahead. I'm just not randomly. Nobody want to contest and said, "Hey, you want to be this?" Or, you know, it's, it's. We've I've chosen people. My photographers have recommended people. We were working with people that we think they're going to be a good fit. And when you kind of have that instinct and you've been doing it long enough, you are right most of the time. To be honest, do people just kind of apply out of nowhere, or do you do you have like open sort of calls yep. for photographers? No on the second part, absolutely not. Um, the first part, yes, I do um, uh, get applications, I guess is the best way or whatever. They, they send me notes. I shoot wrestling because you have to remember like every other sport, wrestling kind of falls into that category of there's some really small little groups like people who only have enough money to pay one guy to wrestle at a time, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, they, <laughs> so they, they have smaller groups and that's how you can learn. And then they have bigger groups that have TV contracts, you know, it's kind of there and everything in between. So I have a lot of people who have tried their hand at wrestling in other places, smaller groups and so forth that would like to work for us. And they send me their portfolios and their resumes and I look at their work and I get an idea. But I also have to take an account is um, it's also a matter of, of geography you know right I, I like to have as many people local as i can to kind of you know make sure that i have backups at the very least in these cities um in case something happens what if my guys get snowed in and they can't fly in who can i call in minnesota to go shoot that and so forth so i i try to keep it regional as well and that's probably where a lot of those guys will stay within that region but you'd be surprised how many people have shot some form of wrestling at some point. You know, even if it's the backyard stuff, they've yeah. kind of just gravitated towards it. And then they come to me. And then a lot of them, honestly, Dave, are just like sports photographers. They're like they work for that venue 
or they work for a local sports team. This is kind of a natural progression for them to be able to do if, if, they, if they'd like to try it. I, I think most of them can pick it up. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and move on to your consulting business. Cause I did want to make sure to talk about that. And I know, Evelyn, you were interested sure. in, in uh, interested in that aspect of what Brad is doing. So talk to us a little bit about kind of why you started this sort of consulting business and, and what does it do for photographers? So I started it in between after I left as director of photography for Timing Sports and Sports Illustrated. And I had about a year in between that job and becoming the VP at WWE. So I started at that point and I started it with the idea of um, assisting. I, I started very narrow, actually, and then it's expanded just kind of in its natural way. I started thinking I could help photographers be better sports photographers if that's what their chosen craft was to be. I've been doing it long enough editing and hiring and talking to photographers and listening and paying attention and gathering information that I think I could work with them. This is what people are looking for. These are the type of images you need to have and so forth. So I started out with that and then gravitated towards more just photographers in general, like how to, to some degree, improve their photography. But a lot of my work in the consulting, it's basically centered around two things. There's corporations and there's individual photographers. So I, I'm working with, uh, I have some now, and I've been working with them all through the pandemic and so forth, really kind of, um, uh, we created the website. My wife uh, actually built the website for me. <laughs> um, so it's Brad Smith Creative, and I have the website, and a lot of the photographers that are reaching out to me, they just need... I don't, they just need a little push, a little guidance. They kind of have hit a rut, which is how every creative person is at some point or another for all of us. You just kind of, you have a writer's block, I guess is the best way to put it. And they need a little push. A lot of it is reviewing their websites, which essentially is their portfolio. And how can we create more of a dynamic look to that and something that's more interesting to creative buyers and art directors and photo editors. And then also to... I can point them in the direction of where their work can go. I can make connections with them because of my time in the business. If I think that they're, you know, the right fit for somebody, uh, a magazine or a wire service or so forth. So a lot of it is individual photographers that just kind of need a little direction and a little redirection in a business that is becoming increasingly difficult to kind of stand out and, and maintain some steady work. Um, and then I also work with corporations and the corporation part is more in digital asset management. And what happens is that there are businesses like entertainment businesses know that they have photos and they know what to use them for and they know what the rights are with them and they know how to accumulate them and distribute them like the WWE. They have it all figured out. And I'm sure that most movie companies and entertainment companies, they pretty much have it all figured out. But then you take other companies that you don't associate with visualization. Let's just say like John Deere tractors. I mean, they need photographs for various things, right? And they have these assets, but they don't really know how to utilize them. They don't really know how to bring out the value of them. And they don't even know they already have the images they need and how to store them and who can find them and who can locate them and who can distribute it through the platforms for the company. And I can help companies with that as well. So that part is kind of exciting. It's more strategic and bigger picture planning. And it's almost letting you know that You've had this all along. I'm just showing you th that it's here and how to utilize it. And it's not just one person that knows about it. When they go on vacation, you guys don't know what to do. You know, it's because that's a lot of it is that kind of thing. 
but right now primarily it's with individual photographers just working with them and building up their books and and making edits with them and creating a better look for them and also making connections with them which i'm able to do because of my experience in the business for so long so that's primarily where the business is at this point and it's it's keeping me busy to say the least you know i do have a another job a full-time job which is also more than 40 hours a week so that that keeps me super busy and that's make no mistakes that's my priority is the wwe everything else is just i fill it in when i have time to fill it in but i but i enjoy it i enjoy it a great deal because i i've I never enjoyed anything more in photography than the collaborative. That's always been my favorite thing. I never wanted to live in a cabin by myself and watch wolves for two years. I, I like sitting in a room with four or five people and we talk about stuff. And, you know, you, if, I, if it's one-on-one -on -one and I call Evelyn and say, this is the story, I like that part. And if it's an art director and three other people, I mean, I've always enjoyed that. And I think that's what this is with these photographers. It's a collaborative, you know. I've got everything from sports architectural photographers in California to um, people that don't even shoot sports. They're completely portrait photographers in New York that I'm working with. And it's just a matter of kind of making their work more accessible to the, to, um, the people that might be interested in their work. I like what you said about, you know, helping creatives sort of get back out of that rut and get out of that sort of um, yeah. block and helping them yeah. get on with their work of being creative because I think I don't think there's a creative professional in, in our you know ever in any profession that hasn't been um. sort of stumped at some point uh, for me I think you know it's back to my blocks and it's like it's always been a new piece of gear that sort of helped me get out of my rut if you know and then, and then right. of course you get gear acquisition syndrome and then you get a whole closet full of lenses <laughs> or perhaps a, a junk drawer full of cameras that you don't use <laughs> um but that's always kind of like you know i've gotten like you know the 50 millimeter 1.4 or the macro lens or something just to kind of shake things up in my brain and the way i see things um right. Evelyn, how about you? I mean, have you ever been sort of in a rut and would you ever consider perhaps a consulting service like the kind that brad offers Oh, you're muted, Evelyn. Sorry. Yes, I was uh, saying that I think it's um, a really interesting niche because there used to be like the sort of agency, used to have an agent, and there were so many photography agencies, and that, that era is long gone. So if you don't have an agent, and then as a freelancer now, I do almost my all of my own sort of networking and connections. You have to like do do them yourselves and your agent in the past may have done that for you um yeah. so it seems like the consulting avenue is in going using someone like brad who has the expertise and the connections is like the new the new way of breaking into this industry because you don't have I mean, there are still photo agencies, and I probably met Brad, I, I imagine, when I was with a photo agency, and I'm in New York, and they set up meetings, um, but that was 20 years ago, so I can I can see that it totally makes sense for photographers who are like, oh, I can't get into Blackstar, I can't get into Gamma, I can't get into uh, Redux or whatever, and how, you know, whatever they are, um, how do I do this? So that makes a lot of sense, and I... I haven't myself, uh, I did briefly, like, I got a lot of emails once with Wonderful Machine, which I guess is a consulting 
photography consulting thing, which, you know, it helped you brand your website. It doesn't necessarily make personal connections, but similar. And, you know, it, it looked appealing. At the end of the day, I think it was more geared for a commercial side of photography than for photojournalism. And it's not something I pursued, but I had some good conversations about it because I sort of thought, okay, I'm in DC 10 years. What's new? Like, that's the rut you're talking about. Like, what new clients can I, you right. know, try to, what new avenues? Maybe it's doing more commercial work, you know? So I think it's super valuable. And, um, we're in, I mean, as a, as a freelancer, sometimes you're not in the collaborative. Like what I love what Brad said, I feel very on my own sometimes, even though I work for the Washington Post, I'm out there in the field. I'm not a staff photographer. I get in a call. I do my assignment. I send in my photos. I don't necessarily have a conversation or an edit or a talk. They just go in the paper and that's great. And you know, I, everybody's happy, but um, I'm not part of necessarily a bigger bigger thing and it can be very I wouldn't say isolating I think that's just how it is for a lot of freelancers but I think there's a lot of value in having somebody to talk to and say hey what can I do differently how can in your photo your editor photo editor may not be able to do that but Brad may be able to do that you know and guide you and say this would be better this is how your website would be better you might succeed better getting assignments like this if you do x so yeah all of right. those things Sometimes when I think the rut you're talking about is like sometimes you feel a little bit like, oh, I'm out there. I'm all by myself. I'm a freelancer. What do I do to like kick it in gear? And that, yes, that I mean, that seems ideal, obviously. And I think anybody also, too, looking at your just a new eye is always it's like an editor. Everybody needs an, an editor, editor in quotes. It could mean many things, an editor. Right. So, I yeah. also think that when we, we get hired by a magazine or a newspaper like Evelyn does, as soon as that thing is it's in gear, that editor, I guarantee you, is already working on two more stories. And right. that's why there's no big exchange. And, and it's not they don't care or they, they don't want to tell you. It's just, I'm sorry, I have two more stories I have to do. And they've moved on, and that's the ah. nature of that. And when you go to portfolio reviews, whether you pay or it's free or whatever, you usually get 15 or 20 minutes, whatever the clock says. You know, you get these little increments with somebody. And it can be really valuable. And you exchange a card. You make maybe one connection if you're lucky. And all that's great. But that's also built to be really temporary. And it's built to be cut off. And it's built to end at that moment. So basically, what I offer is those same types of things, but it's more intimate in that it, now it's between you, me and you for as long as you want to do it. I mean, clearly there's a fee for that in exchange for that service. But the point is that like, I'm giving you my attention and my time. I'm not looking at the other guy who's standing over their shoulder, getting ready to drop his portfolio off because your time is up and I'm not working on another assignment on another phone while you're calling to tell me your photos are done for the assignment you just did. It's just me and you. So photo consultants and people who do that, like myself, that's what they can offer you with some concentrated time. They go in these sessions, pick one, two, three, whatever's good for you. You won't get broke doing it and you might gain a lot from it. And you'll definitely have like a refresher course. And that's that's the best part is you just kind of once in a while need to recharge. And I think that's one of the things that that I help with is I just help people recharge their careers. That's, that's great. And it's a, I think, a valuable service. Is it something that's offered like on an hourly basis or do you just negotiate with yeah. each person individually yeah for the with the individual photographers i do a i i'm complimentary sounds so weird but i do a, it's a free 15 the minute first, the first is the first hit is free yeah. it's a free gift with purchase yeah so i it's a uh, <laughs> it's a 15 minute phone call just to see if we even want to have another phone call and, right. and we're on the same page 
and that I do. Then it goes hourly after that. So then I charge by the hour and each session is an hour. I kind of have a bandwidth for like one hour. I, I, I've had people that want to do two or three in a row and I'm like, no, I can't do that <laughs> because it's just, it's, it's too much for me. I just want to like concentrate on the hour, really devote a lot of time for the hour and not spread it out over a couple. But I do, I do the one hour session and then almost always it's like a few days later we do the second session. It's all, it's pretty concentrated. Yeah. They've been running three to probably four sessions per person is what it is. And it generally is over, I would say two or three weeks. If it's, if it's not once a week, it's a little bit less. I also have a, a photographer in the Midwest who's doing a very long term, will take a year or more project. That one is specifically spread out over a period of time because I'm helping him edit and then guide where those images are going to go when he's finished. Um, so I have to wait for him to go shoot. And he only shoots like once a month, this project. So that takes longer. But generally, it works with work that's already completed. Let's look at it. Let's figure out how to utilize it and get it out there into the universe. And that's in these one hour sessions. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. When I found out, you know, you had the consultancy business, obviously that got the gears turning because I've never really looked into the, uh, you know, the aspect yeah. of photography consultancy before. Right. And so, you know, obviously the first time we've really ever talked about the topic because we've never had a photography consultant on the show. But I'm curious, you know, obviously when you looked into becoming a consultant, can you tell us a little bit about that industry in general? I mean, is it a big industry? Is there a lot of consultants out there or is it kind of like very small and niche? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's well, I think in the scale of, of the universe, it's pretty small. <laughs> but I think that yeah. for uh, um, if you Google photo consultant, certainly X number of names do come up. Right. And they do offer everything. Like Evelyn was saying, there are people who will sit down with you and say, this is what your logo should be for your brand, for your business cards and for your website. And there are people who will sit down and really just I'm more going through their photographs, which photographs are going to be more valuable, in my opinion, for you to show photo editors and art directors. I have, I have rearranged a couple of websites in the basic design, the principle of the template, but I haven't like redesigned somebody's logo because I'm not a designer, so I'm not gonna be doing that. But right. I can go with you and tell you, I love this. This is a great idea. When I open it up as a photo editor, I wanna go to the next page. This is really annoying. Stop playing music and I don't want to hear it. And this is nobody's going to ever listen to this. Please stop. So, I mean, I can have those kind of conversations with people. And that I think is is helpful because they need at some point someone other than their best friends and their mom to tell them that they're doing a good job. They need to go outside that bubble. And freelancers notoriously live in a bubble. It's not it's nobody's fault. It's just that's the business, you know, yeah. and they live in that silo. And it's hard to get outside kind of opinions on the reality of it. But there's certainly a number of, of photo consultants around. And uh, a lot of them are ex-photographers and photo editors. And some of them, I'm not sure of their backgrounds, but they're very, they're very good at what they do because they can calmly walk you through where your images stand and um, uh, how you can place them into a, a, you know, into, into a better location. You know, absolutely. All right, well, uh, let's get on to our last topic this evening. I always like to touch on uh -huh. gear, and, and there's always new gear coming out. Uh, I think the, the past few months, really, we've been gifted with so much great new camera equipment in the world, you know, with the Canon and the Sony and, and everything that's going on. But, you know, of course, we have to talk about what's uh, most new, and what's most new is GoPro. They've, they've got a new camera out. I believe it's the, the Hero 9 and it's their, their new big um, awesome sort of camera. It can shoot 5K video. 
Um, and it's got all the great features that come with uh, the camera 4K, I think 4K 120, and you know just everything you, you would think of with the GoPro GoPro camera. It's the best of you know what they currently make. Um, but you know again, it's a GoPro. It's an, an action camera. And as we were talking about before the show, you know we all kind of have action cameras, and then we, we use them for maybe a minute, or we have great ambitions about wanting to use them, and then we kind of throw them into a junk drawer and never use them before. Um, you know, with this new GoPro camera, uh, you know, throw it over you, Evelyn. Uh, do you, does this sort of, you know, sort of reinvigorate your sense of uh, creativity with regard to action cameras? Are you looking at this thinking, okay, I'm going to use it this time? Does it get you going? Oh, oh this is a trick question. I don't want to. I don't want to not. You know, I mean, I have no opinion about <laughs> any of this. GoPro <laughs> two, never used it. Yeah. I love them. In- but you know, it's I'm not throwing GoPro under the bus, but this is just not something that gets me too excited. So yeah. Well there goes our potential GoPro sponsorship. I have no opinion. Yeah, I mean no, darn it. I know I'm always blowing my potential sponsorships, but I'm just <laughs> not you know, I mean I'm an event you know, I've like the one use I could see doing it is, you know, like if I'm on, you know, skiing or something that I like to do, but not even, I, you know, it's not, not my thing. I did, the reason I bought a GoPro once was for this sort of documentary I was doing and I thought I wouldn't be able to like hold up my camera and I thought we'll rig up this GoPro so we have it rolling. So I get it. They're wonderful tools, but I'm not the one to speak about the GoPro as mine is sitting in a drawer. Yeah, I know, so, right? Unpacked. Well, you know, let me throw yeah, this at you, know. Evelyn, you know, cause, uh, one of our friends of our show, CS Muncie, he had a GoPro many years ago and he probably doesn't use it for this anymore. But you know, one of the sort of neat ideas you can do with a GoPro for your line of work, especially covering protests and whatnot is to sort of put it on one of those like chest rigs or helmet rigs. And you just sort of have it running when you need it to, to act as sort of like that, I guess you could call it like insurance camera, right? Or like, you know, it's capturing everything. So if you get into a scuffle or if somebody's messing with you or if there's some sort of, you know, something going on, you're, you're constantly, you're, you're recording it. Has that ever been sort of a, a thought that crossed your mind or a potential use case scenario that you could see for that GoPro that's collecting dust or this GoPro? Um, uh, yeah, actually I have. I mean, I just, I do. I feel like I've thought about that, but there's something funny, I think, about having a camera that's recording all the time that doesn't feel uh, right, like maybe as an editorial photographer. Like, even though I may pick up my camera and take somebody's photo, you know, I'm not asking permission. I may then have a conversation with them or not. I almost feel like if someone sees that GoPro and it's recording, it creates some sort of weird vibe. This might all be in my head, but that yeah. just doesn't feel like you know, proper sort of editorial ethical journalism. But in terms of, I mean, it would be amazing. Like, you know, you're in a protest, there's tear gas flying, you're running, you know, there's cops, you're not necessarily able to get good pictures. Like I imagine the footage would be really great to have. And then obviously if something happens to you, you get shot, you know, obviously that good, but I don't think I've thought about, you know, I feel comfortable wearing one in that, you know, scenario. Yeah. Um, it's it's like, just it's a little bit. Strange. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like you have a body cam, you know, it's like now, you know, it's like, are you, are you the police yeah. and you're recording, you know, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So that's right. definitely yeah, something to consider for sure. Yeah. For me, I wouldn't feel comfortable. 
Uh, so yeah. again, some of the specs on this, like I said, 5K recording, 20 megapixel photos, has hyper smooth 3.0, 4K 60, 1080, 240. I think that's pretty neat if you want to get the, the nice slow-mo shots. So you can take that and get some nice slow-mo when you're skiing, Evelyn. Um, uh, and then it's again, wild field of view. I think what's neat is here, it has the removable lens cover. So if your lens gets scratched or broken, you can take that off and, and put a new one on, which makes sense considering how people actually use GoPros. And it goes for $450. And, uh, you know, let me throw it over to you, um, you know, Brad, as Go, do Go, you mentioned GoPro in sort of its, your partnership with them or, you know, on a project. Uh, but do GoPros play a role at all in the, the wrestling footage, or do you use them at all? Uh, they haven't yet, no, because um, it's just it, because of the way the TV show is configured. I'm not sure exactly where we would be able to use it. I wouldn't be right. against it if one of my photographers could come up with a really creative idea sure. on where to put one. And I, I do have some photographers that could have that conversation, and I'm willing to explore it. Yeah. We have not yet, honestly, but it's certainly something to explore. And one of the things that shooting with no fans has allowed us to do is kind of explore some photo opportunities, you know, for, with the remotes and things like that. So that's a possibility for sure. Yeah. yeah we, just, we've definitely, you know, it, it, trying to expand what we're doing. I don't want to have it look like the same thing we were doing 10 years ago. So right. it's an opportunity for us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd say, you know, stick a GoPro on each of the wrestlers and do first person wrestling. Yeah. Well, my go. wife wants to stick one on the, toddler's helmet for her scooter the two-year-old so and that's just for our owner tammy value and partly because i gotta tell you it's really exhausting chasing a toddler around with your phone as she tries to scoot down the sidewalk or something you know it's 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 probably as unsafe as it, as it could look and it's really exhausting so i think that the uh, gopro is a good alternative to that perfect use yeah. case scenario okay go ahead and there you drop go. that 450 dollars right now for toddler yes. toddler cam um, well, I'm definitely going to need the uh, detachable lens covers, so I have to throw some of those in there, too. There you go. There's a lot of crashing for a scooter. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Evelyn, before we lose you, can you talk about your experience with the Canon R5 shooting it recently and, and kind of what you think and your thoughts on it? Do you think it'll be your camera of choice, or are you gonna, still going to explore the Sonys? Okay, Ugh, all good questions. Um, loved it my first time out. I literally... Pulled it out of the box, took it out to shoot uh, the second night of um, RBG vigils because I knew, you know, it's dark, low light, and it had the reticulating screen, uh, which was all fantastic. Um, I didn't really know how to use the camera because I'm a Canon shooter already. I was able to sort of quickly transition for the very basic stuff, but I had no idea how to figure out focus tracking. Um, so I just put it on one shot. So I was shooting uh, one shot and sometimes also using the, the screen, which was amazing for focus. Um, so until I try out the focus tracking and figure out how to do that, I'm not sure because I did the, the Sony was really amazing with the, with the focus tracking. So I have to do like an apples to apples comparison in terms of the menu situation and it being an easier trend. I mean, the Sony menus were ridiculous. I think there were like 25 menus. I had a two hour tutorial with the Sony rep and I'm sure you get used to that just like anything, but there are a lot of menus. For me, it was very easy to pick up the R5, go out and shoot and I got great pictures, go out and shoot an assignment and not feel like, oh my gosh, this is a new camera. I don't know what I'm doing. The articulating screen, is that what, you, I mean, I think that's what you call it, right? Very it angle display. Fantastic. But yes, varied angle 
play. I kept forgetting because I have the Mark IVs. And then I was like, wait, I can hold up the camera. <laughs> yeah. Turn the thing down. I got some really awesome crowd shots that I would not have been able to got. I mean, there would have just been a pure guess with yeah. the 5D Mark IV. That's the selling point. It also felt about a thousand times faster. I mean, I just immediately knew that I'm switching very soon to a mirrorless system. I loved it. It was so quiet. I mean, I loved all of those things. Is it going to be Sony or is it going to be Canon? TBD. I've, I've got to get get out. Got to get uh, figure out how to do the focus tracking, and then I can give you a good comparison. But for I will say, loved loved it. And for Canon users, super easy to switch over. Um, I don't, didn't try any of their new lenses. Uh, they sent me a 24-105, but it was F4, so I didn't even bother taking that out because it just didn't seem practical at all. Yeah. Um, so I had to get my hands on one of the, the, I don't know what you call them, but one of the new lenses that go with the mirrorless system. So I was just using the adapter, but it worked great, and I had no problems. I used uh, all three of my lenses with the adapter, um, main lenses, all, all uh, the 16-35, 2470 and the 7200. Right, the Trinity. And that was all good. So I'd say right now, you know, it'd be easier for me to go Canon, but um, maybe the focus, until I learn the focus, I don't want to say one was better than the other. Yeah. I got. I have to track on the Sony, I will say was awesome, but I'll let you know next week when I try the, the Canon tracking. But it felt good. The hand felt good. Mm -hmm. Felt better. I mean, the Sony has a funny shape to it. If you're, yeah. the A92 is better than the A9. I'm not by the A9. Right. I'd go A92, but the feel of the Canon is much more familiar. Feeling. Yeah, that's what I've heard with Sony. They you know, they definitely. Light. Yeah, the Sonys have definitely had a challenge with their ergonomics, but I know they've improved over time. So, um, well, you'll definitely have to let us know what you finally uh, end up choosing because we're all waiting with bated breath. What will the final yes. decision be when we, when are you going to make that final decision by the way when do you, is there like a deadline you've uh, set for yourself no i think i have to figure out the focusing and then i have to decide too on the lenses like if i go sony do i want to use the canon or adapter i really like the sony 7200 they have those buttons focus tracking buttons on them so when you're shooting with the sony a92 you can lock in the focus on the lens i don't know if the canon new canon lenses have that so TBD, I will keep you posted on my, you have it. I mean, do you have the new lens, Dave? On I the do. R5? Yeah, I've got the 24 to 105 RF lens and, um, That's you know, it's right? got that cool control dial, which allows you to have some additional functionality you can program onto it, but there's no like focus locking buttons. It's either, you know, you okay. got your, your typical switches, you know, like your, your OIS or your autofocus, you can turn that on or off. Yeah. Um, you can lock the lens down, you know, into the wide angle if you want to keep it locked. Or you can use the control um, dial to change certain things, like if you want to change ISO or shutter speed or certain settings, you, you can do that through the lens. The one thing I would tell you is before you make your final decision, you know, really try out the cameras with the native glass. Because you may it may be a different experience with regard to focus tracking. I know from Canon's own, you know, uh, press material or whatever that they say you know using the adapter is just like using the native glass but you know again if you're going to adopt the mirrorless system i think as you upgrade you're going to probably want to upgrade your lenses at some point to that mirrorless systems native set um yeah just naturally as I you upgrade they didn't have any except for the 24 105 and i really am not going to use that i no. mean that i can't I really use that for lens so yeah. 
Um, but I will say one thing, the LCD, the one thing I hated about mirrorless that's prevented me from switching to mirrorless <laughs> long was how it looks. Right. The LCD, you're looking, it just always looked like a TV screen and yeah. it didn't feel, and it looked that the, the R5 had a better look than the Sony. Okay. It felt more like a DSLR. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that, but. It no, was, I mean, the, the, the viewfinder is is absolutely awesome and you can have that if you i think you can turn it on the settings to make it a high refresh rate to 120 hertz and it's just like you're looking at a you know you're looking through a viewfinder there's no difference at that point yeah and i didn't feel that with the sony it definitely had that evf kind of feel right. i don't have all the technical terms but ergonomics that's it hand Indeed. feel Indeed. got it <laughs> it's also morning i'd love to hear what other people think too i mean yeah. it'd be interesting well, let us know down in the comments below. We have six viewers yeah. watching, so they should all let us know what they think about uh, their mirrorless cameras. <laughs> well, I don't know if you have to jump off. I won't stop you, but I want to talk to Brad a little bit about the cameras that they use at the WWE. Um, Brad, what are, what are they using currently? I'm sorry, go ahead. Before I jump off, I'm going to make a public request to Brad to be a, a reviewer at the WAPOW Women Photojournalist Washington Portfolio Review when uh, we come back. Post-COVID, thank you. you I appreciate that. that. Yeah, I I'm all up for that. Thank you so, very much. Sounds good. Evelyn's good to see you again. We'd love to have you. All right, good Thanks. to see you guys too. Yeah, I'm great. Out. All right, Evelyn, Thanks. have a great rest okay, of the day. Take care. Bye. See you later. Good luck Saturday. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey. Yes, yeah, so I know Evelyn had to, to step out, but you know, definitely did want to yeah. continue our conversation for a few more minutes. Sure. Uh, and again, yep. you know, getting to the technical, you know, uh, stuff with regard to camera gear. You know, what are you? What right. are they using? Is there sort of a set camera equipment, or is it whatever the camera photographer brings to the to the yeah. event? So again, I'm dealing with a situation where I have two full time staff photographers. Right. And. Both of those photographers, through no reason other than that's what they're comfortable with, that's their personal choice, they use Canons. They both use Canons. And then I have a third photographer who works in the office, Georgiana Dallas, and she is a photo editor, but she's also our in-house photographer, meaning at the offices in Connecticut, if we need something photographed, um, it could just be some merchandise we need copied or a portrait of somebody, or there's an event there that she has to cover. She uses, um, we, uh, she had her own camera, but then we purchased a and Sony. It was the A7 is what we got for her. So we haven't gone all the way up the ladder on it, but it's perfect for what we need it for. And right. we found that the mirrorless is helpful in the office on occasion because sometimes she's in maybe a, there's a meeting, uh, some type of business meeting or something. And if you're in a boardroom and you're photographing, you really don't want people to know you're there with the shutter. So it's, it's, that's come in handy for that type of thing um, in the office. And she uses that. The guys, um, the Canon, they purchased two of the EOS Rs. So they have that first kind of round of the mirrorless Canon. Right. I know there are improved issues or improved um, uh, bodies available now, but we haven't gotten that far yet. We're just kind of using those for now. Sure. And that, again, is tv related it's a tv show yeah and occasionally we have things you know there's the stuff you see on 
TV that's in the ring. And then there's always some backstage stuff, you know, where we have some vignettes backstage and we have some moments where, you know, there, there's, a, um, there's a confrontation or there's a speech or a talk or whatever. And those type of things, because, again, the TV is involved, the mirrorless really comes in handy because we're just flies on the wall taking some quiet pictures while TV's rolling. Mm-hmm. And, and as it's happening, because we don't want to interfere, we don't want to be part of the story. We just want to cover the story. Right. So that's where those mirrorless have come in handy. And the two photographers, obviously, I gave them the choice. You can buy the, the Sony, you can buy the Canon, whatever you want. I want you to be comfortable. And they just went with the Canon because they're already comfortable with the Canon. So it's a natural transgression for them, yeah. um, transition rather for, for them. And then for my staff photographers, I would say, um, Dave, we're pretty split. If I, I have a core group of about 10 freelancers that I use. And then we've increased in the three years I've been there. We've inc- we've more than doubled the amount of photographers we now use, even if it's on a part-time basis, because I had to expand that. We have a guy in the UK, and we have somebody in India, and we've got some people that we've kind of trained that if we're in those places, they can shoot for us, right? And they are pretty much split right down the line between Canon and Nikon originally when I started, yeah. and now Canon and Nikon and Sony. So between those three and that's that's the full time and so forth. So it's it's I thought it was going to be pretty much all Nikon and Canon with a, a Sony here and there. But in the last couple of last year or so, Sony's made a real push and some of the guys have made the change. So I definitely it's not exactly one third, one third, one third. So it's probably probably 65 per 70. I probably 75 percent is Canon and Nikon and maybe a quarter of it is, is Sony is probably where we are. Yeah, no, I mean, the trajectory yeah. that Sony has taken since they entered the camera, like, yeah. industry, so to speak, in this DSLR yeah. to now mirrorless has been phenomenal yeah. to see, how, you know, the progress they've made. I mean, they're now the camera of choice for the AP. You know, that's they that's their, you know. Have made a, that's, a, that's a huge sell yeah. for them. And that was a big, it was a big contract to get and so forth. I actually did consulting business with Sony mm-hmm. when all this started, when I first started the consulting business the first time between the WWE and and um, Sports Illustrated. And that came out of a Red Bull uh, thing I was doing with Red Bull. And I met somebody from Sony and they were talking about wanting to break into more of a market in North, especially in North America. And their two primary objectives were to be a higher valued market within photojournalism and sports. Those were their two groups. And I worked with them on uh, expanding their opportunities in sports. So I did a little consulting for them at the time, but it's just, obviously then I got a job and I stopped doing that, but it's clearly exploded since then. They really have a good, uh, um, they have a good sales team for sure. (laughs) Uh, They have a good marketing and sales team and they've talked a lot of people into like try our equipment, just give it an honest thing. And I, I don't think that a lot of these people would be switching over if they didn't think the product was comparable you know right. if it was like so inferior to let's say canon and nikon there's no way the ap would be switching so they must yeah. think there's something positive about it about it and the equipment itself so uh, how how that plays out i don't know and 10 years from now we'll have the same conversation and they'll be using somebody else because that's how business works yeah. but right now this is sony's time and i think they're doing a great job so yeah well i mean it's only a two-year contract with ap so you know again ap could say yeah well thanks for your time sony we're going to go back to nikon or canon or yeah who knows yeah, very easily Pentax. yeah but it's, but it's good for sony right now it gets their name out there yeah. and and um uh it's a lot of things they can exploit as far as a marketing level goes which is always a plus yeah um for them and i i think it's i 
I look at it as it's nothing but good for the business because right. that has to drive Canon and Nikon. Let's face it. If you only have two companies, they can kind of do what they want. <laughs> yeah, and then much. if you add other players in there, then the game changes, you know? Yeah. I mean, for better or worse, it, it certainly drives the competition to be a better product, I think. When you, when you have somebody who's offering something else new, it makes you rethink your business plan a little bit. So. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, how long have we waited for Canon to actually innovate in the space? Yeah. I mean, mirrorless yeah. as a concept was only... Uh, adopted by Canon and Nikon because Sony pushed so far in that space. 100%, 100%. And when you have a camera that is offering two things that is uh, of utmost importance in a, in a lot of venues, it's lighter weight yeah. and it doesn't make any noise. Right. I mean, when you start adding those things in there, you know, I think you know, the president is sitting there signing something and everybody's photographing. He's used to the shutter noise that right. comes with mm -hmm. the deal. Yeah. But there are times where that's not, maybe it's appropriate, you know, because not everything is celebratory, like a bill signing. Sometimes it's somber, like yeah. a, a memorial or something. And then, you know, it really helps to have the the, the silent shutter. And yeah. if that's an option, why not? And you're, you're clearly right. If we had waited for them to come up with it, <laughs> Maybe we still wouldn't. No, we Maybe we'd still be waiting. That's all right. We'd still be uh, shooting uh, probably 1080p video with our DSLR cameras, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've learned that in like every business, you know. I mean, look at car manufacturers. I mean, you, you know, they are happy to go along at 14 miles a gallon until somebody invented an electric car that's or a hybrid. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, uh, guess what? Our trucks can now get miraculously 30 miles to the gallon. Know, so right? it's. Everybody has to adapt to that, and I think that this is nothing but a positive for Canon and Nikon in the sense that their technology is going to have to shift with the times, and it's an improvement that all of us can benefit from. Yeah, and, and they have shown, um, obviously, the ability to shift and change. You know, They're a little late to the game, but they're getting there, and honestly, that's why I chose Canon as my camera of choice over Sony. Had Canon not innovated and shown their willingness to push the boundaries and you know, right, right. create a camera that can shoot 8K and do all these magical things, regardless of its, you know, propensity right. to overheat, I wouldn't have yeah. gone with them in my sort of transition back to full-frame mirrorless. Now, obviously, yeah. I have a, a bias towards Canon because they were, you know, I've, I've used them in the past, but, you right. know, I, I had switched fully over to Panasonic, a, a, a brand I'd never even considered in the past to be my camera just because they were innovating right. so much in the micro right. four thirds space. So, you know, again, now that right. I'm in this full frame area with Canon, I don't know if there'd be something compelling enough from Sony now at this point to make me, you know, go to them. Right. And I think that the fact is that we all know that people like Canon and Nikon and Panasonic for that matter, they, they employ world-class engineers. They have the capabilities and they have the brain power to figure it all out. This is all, coming from somewhere else. This is a marketing strategy or a business strategy or, or they're prioritizing this over that. And that's just, you know, that's how businesses work, you know? Yeah, there's somebody that could have come up with a car that makes 90 miles to the gallon, but that wasn't their priority at the time. So they did. And this is the same thing with the cameras. And I think that having somebody come out with a new type of model makes you rethink and you can unleash those engineers who are all pretty brilliant to begin with and certainly smarter than the average person is in this area to begin with now they can unleash it and say here come up with this oh yeah we can do that and then 
they all go back to work. And then again, like I said before, it just does nothing but benefit all of us, you know, better, better equipment, Mm. better photos. That's 100%. There you go. Yeah. I, I, let me, let me rephrase that. Not better equipment, better photos, better equipment, less bad photos. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. How about that? Sure. Sure. I'll be better that way. Better equipment, more options. I would think. I would probably, you know, yeah, capitalize definitely like more that. options. Um, definitely more options. Because again, yeah. with that autofocus in the new Canon, in you know, even the Sony, of course, you know, having what they've been able, yeah. both been able to do with autofocus systems, it's it's really amazing the way they incorporate right. AI into it. Like I can shoot a scene, and it just it knows where the face is. It locks onto it, tracks it throughout the scene. It's yeah, right. it's it's amazing what technology has yielded in the last you know, even five years. It's, it's really amazing stuff. And and I'm sure those big companies probably hire similar to how the WWE hires, you know, they give the engineers two cameras to figure things out. If they haven't figured it out by then they kick them to the curb. Yeah. Well, it's my training session versus hire, but exactly correct. Yeah. And I just want to say my photographers that have switched and are using Sony, I mean, these aren't, you know, there's not a Greg Heisler in there who's getting some kind of, you know, maybe has a deal or because his name is so big. and yeah. a spot. These are just working class photographers. They're really great at what they do. They're the best in the world at what yeah. they do. But it's it's not like they're shifting. AP shifting, let's be honest. That's a business decision. Like Sony came to them yeah. and made a sale. Yeah. I mean, that's what that is. And, and nothing wrong with it. That's how it works. But that's what it was. It's a sale. And they wanted that pitch over Canon and Nikon. Right. Simple. Yeah. My guys aren't getting like a sale. They're like, I'm choosing this on my own for whatever reason. So that says a lot for that camera company that, that, you know, some of my guys who I really trust, that's the avenue they're going. And not all of them did. Like I said, maybe 25% are with Sony and the other 75 with Canon and Nikon. Nobody's with Olympus at this point. Right. Well, for I mean, me anyway. Is Olympus even in the industry anymore? I, I think they I, exited the industry. I, um, I think. I think now they're just in a mountain somewhere. There you go. Yeah, no, I think you can't go wrong. There's so many great options out there, as we've said multiple times on the show. You know, there's a wealth of options. Uh, It's rich with options, so it's you can't. And everybody can argue the one you bought is the right one, and somebody else can argue the one you bought is the wrong one. So all you have to do is just do like every other major decision in your life, which is this is what I'm comfortable with. Right. This is where I am. I found my comfort space. I'm happy here. Leave me alone. This is where I'm going. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's you know it, 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 we all know there isn't a massive difference between the three of them that's so great that like you're going to fail with one and you're only going to succeed with the other. That's not the case. So whatever your comfort level is and you're happy with. Just go with it and make great pictures. That's all you should be concerned about. That's right. And the person looking at the picture will have no idea what you shot it with. They just want to Nor see do they care. shots. Right? Exactly. Nor do they care. No, no one <laughs> couldn't like, care less. Uh, absolutely. We're the only ones who yeah. care, us as photo nerds. And, and and that's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm all for having that conversation and the tech question, and I yeah. get like going over it and making a decision. But at the end of the day, nobody else cares except you. But that's important that you do. But that's where it ends right there. So just enjoy it. Take great pictures. And that's all that matters is the visuals. Indeed. And that's where this show ends yeah. right here. Uh, so, so Brad, please tell people where they can find out more about you and your work. Thank you. Well, the creative part is bradsmithcreative.com. Uh, that's my website and my, all my contact information is on there. And if anybody's interested in that part of it, any consulting, they can go there. But my email is also on there. If somebody wants to use that to reach me, um, at the WWE, my email address at the WWE is, 
is Brad Smith. I'm sorry, Bradley.Smith at WWECorp.com. That's my email there. So either email they could reach out if they are interested in shooting with the WWE. Like I said, we've increased the number of shooters dramatically over the last couple of years. We have a huge stable of photographers that I'm really proud of, and we, we have a lot of people. And we're always looking for more people because there are areas where we could improve on. So sure. I'm always looking. If some if somebody's really, that's their passion to shoot wrestling, by all means, reach me there. And if they have any interest in upgrading their portfolio or having somebody look at their work and giving them an honest uh, um, a declaration of where their work is going, happy to help them with that with Brad Smith Creative. That's awesome. Great. Well, thank you, Brad, so much for taking time out to be on the show. Oh, thank you, Dave. Really it's a pleasure it. to be on the show. No, thank you. Well, glad to have you back. You're always welcome back. Love having you on to talk about all great things uh, going on in your thank world. Thank you. And, uh, I'll let you know the next time I have something interesting. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. Let me know. We'll have, we'll have you back on. We'll talk about it. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, well, Dave. Well, this has been Around the Lens, episode 243. I've been your host, David J. Murphy. If you'd like to uh, continue the conversation, by all means, do so on one of our social media networks. Of course, Facebook, you're on right now. You're probably watching this live. You can comment down below. You can tell uh, you know Brad what kind of camera you're using. Um, you can find us on YouTube. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find links to all of our social media on AroundTheLens.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can also uh, donate to our Patreon page and get everything we do uh, a little bit ahead of time, and you can help support the show financially and help us expand what we're doing here on the platform. All right. Well, thanks again, Brad. Truly appreciate your time. No, thank you. I, I Listen, I just, on behalf of just the photography business in general, shows like yours and this one specifically, it does a lot. And, and I just know that every one of us appreciate what you do for the business in general. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank yep. you. Welcome. All right. Well, I've been David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 243, and we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, aroundthelens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at aroundthelens.com.